0: This episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast is brought to you by me, Philip Morgan. Hey, if you are a self-employed software developer and you're tired of operating as a generalist and you have a couple years experience and you would like some one-on-one help making that transition from generalist to highly profitable specialist and you would like to work one-on-one with me doing so, head over to philipmorganconsulting.com, scroll to the bottom, hit the contact link, And let me know. We can talk about it. So, someone, some very uh, handsome, intelligent, uh, humorous, and a couple other things, I bet, that I don't know about, but positive things. Some person fitting that description actually used the Consulting Pipeline podcast answer line. And I'm so delighted. (laughs) I feel like they should get a door prize or something for being the first to call in with the question. Uh, That person is uh, my friend and colleague, Jonathan Stark. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm going to play his uh, question here in a moment. And just so you know, it relates to episode 53 of the same podcast where I talked about being at the farmer's market here in Sebastopol and observing a, someone who sold uh, jewelry, sort of unveiling in a sort of drip fashion a, a bit of a sales pitch for my wife. And that's what Jonathan is talking about when you hear him talk about drip, drip, drip.
1: Hey, Philip. Jonathan Stark here. Just listened to your drip, drip, drip episode. And probably it was the water analogy of the dripping that made me think of the effect that torrential downpours have on crops, where if you get too much rain all at once, it can completely wash away the topsoil or drown any existing plants because it forces all the air out of the ground, or in fact, can completely put them underwater where plants don't actually like to be. Normal, you know, terrestrial earth ground above water plants, (laughs) to use the technical term. Anyway, um, to maybe, stretch the analogy a little bit farther, what you need is the right amount of rainfall for the plants to grow. And I wonder, in your analogy, what is the plant that's growing? So the lady that was selling the jewelry, what plant was she trying to grow in Cheryl's mind? Thanks. Love the podcast. See ya.
0: Hey, thanks for the question, Jonathan. So um, here's, here's my take on that. I'm going to kind of riff on a couple of aspects I, I see all this stuff through a particular filter, which is how can people who have specialized, who developed expertise, um, build trust with clients. So that's a bit of a bias. And with that in mind, like, I don't know, I, I think the woman wanted to sell some of her jewelry, <laughs> but that's the surface answer. Um, but I, I, I still want to kind of treat that, that story of this woman sort of dripping out her sales pitch over time as a bit of an analogy that relates, I think, very well to how do we experts or aspiring experts build trust with potential clients? To me, that's that's the plant that this woman was trying to nurture. And the, the amount of trust it would have required of my wife, Cheryl, to plop down, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks for a piece of handmade jewelry is not a lot of trust. Let's be honest. Uh, it's, it's just not a lot of trust. But I think the way this woman approached it was very interesting, and very relevant for how we experts also can approach building trust. So Jonathan's question prompted me to think, is there some sort of systematic way of understanding how trust is built? And this is not going to be an exhaustive um, exploration of how trust is built in the context of professional services relationships. But I do want to give you three things to think about, three ways in which trust can be built. Again, this is, there, there certainly are others, I think. But when I sort of survey my own experience and, um, it's sort of being on both sides of, of being a seller of services and also being a buyer of services. I mean, just to be clear, I've never bought like tens and tens and tens and thousands of dollars of services. I think, um, you know, but I've hired lawyers. I've hired um, people to build a house that I was going to build in, uh, and other things that are a little more demanding of trust than. Uh, some jewelry or some earrings or a bracelet or whatever. So here are the three things that I think, uh, the, the sort of the three mm, ways or configurations in which trust can be built. One is over time, gradually over time, or incrementally over time. Number two, in some kind of dramatic event. Number three, through the transitive property of trust. Involving a third party. I'll, I'll explore each one of those a little bit in this episode. And hopefully that'll lead to some interesting further explorations in future episodes. So, time is, I think, the most natural way that trust is built up. Somebody shows up in your life repeatedly in a consistent fashion over time. That builds trust, uh, I don't want to say passively, because it may take effort for them to show up in your life. And when I say your life, I, I just mean that as a sort of general catch-all. for They show up somehow in your experience. Maybe it's they show up online. Maybe you subscribe to somebody's YouTube channel. Or they uh, show up in the media that you consume. Or they show up in uh, the professional context for you. And they show up at conferences, you know, every every year. They're at the same conference that you are, or they're a friend of yours, uh, or they show up in some kind of social context. So when I say your life, I, I really mean it's just a catch-all for all that stuff. It's the showing up, it's the consistency, and it's the overtimeness of it that makes this powerful. That makes it effective at building trust. I think about the fact that. IRL, in real life networking, sort of never worked for me. And I think there's a number of reasons why. One is I always phoned it in (laughs) when I was a generalist freelancer and I was desperate for work. There were two things I would tend to do. One is um, email past clients with a sort of we have availability type of email, (laughs) Uh, I paused there for a moment because I was just sort of re- recalling how uh, how awful it was to wait until the very last minute to do that, because it was it just put so much pressure on that, and it would it was a sort of it was a form of taking asymmetrically taking from those relationships rather than a sort of give and take. So I would do that, and I would uh, say, "Okay, I time to try to you know break out of my introvert shackles." And show up at a networking event or two. And also, that was always sort of forced and asymmetrical. There was not a, a give-take there. There was me kind of cruising like a, like a shark, looking for blood in the water, looking for not somebody to harm, but just someone who could quickly and easily provide me with a project or some work or something. And I think about why that didn't work. I mean, obviously, it it didn't work because it wasn't intentional. It wasn't um, done as really from the right place. It was a desperation move, in other words. But also, it didn't work because it did not work because it was inconsistent. It was not a steady showing up consistently over time. And so it was unable, I think, to build trust. It was like me showing up and... Pressing the flesh, as politicians sometimes say, and and being there for, you know, an hour or two and expecting what? I mean, expecting what out of that? Expecting somebody to trust me enough to want to hire me? It just doesn't work that way. Time is such a huge asset in building trust. And I think that's why, coincidentally, or, you know, incidentally, why when someone turns out to be a serial killer or (laughs) some kind of, you know, really uh, horrible criminal, the neighbors are always, like, coming on TV saying, oh, they just seem like such a normal person, they really kept to themselves, yada, yada. In other words, if someone moved into your neighborhood and, you know, two weeks later were found out to be a, uh, a murderer, you might not be as surprised as someone who's been there for 10, 20 years and you've known for all that period of time. So time creates familiarity which makes it easier to build up trust even if you actually don't have any really other solid legitimate reason to trust somebody. It just makes it easier to build up trust. The second category of things that can build up trust are, I'm going to call dramatic events because uh, I haven't come up with a better term for it. And this is stuff like, Um, I mean, dramatic events. I I don't I don't have a great story to tell about this, but um, well, I mean, I guess I have one story to tell. I, I do remember when I was uh, working for a Microsoft, um, partner reseller. They were a small consultancy in Louisville, Kentucky, and they you know, they sold servers and licenses for Microsoft software and um, implementation services. So they were kind of a VAR. And I I remember um, I was the guy who was available and knew enough about SQL Server to go into this mid-sized life insurance company and clean up the mess after a uh, sysadmin or their DBA had um, completely, you know, hosed some critical database that they relied on. And I remember how they uh, looked at me after I pulled it off. (laughs) And um, they, there was such a, a, a palpable sense of like, oh my gosh, this guy is the guy, you know, this guy is amazing. He came in in this, you know, pressure, 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 high pressure situation and just, you know, made it happen, pulled it off. I didn't think it was anything that extraordinary, but I was not going to really suffer the consequences that they were going to suffer if we had been unsuccessful in recovering those databases. So um, that's what I—that's sort of what I mean by a dramatic event. Trust is re- built very quickly. Um, I remember also. I think of several. Uh, talks that I've seen, like, you could maybe sort of think of certain TED Talks that for you were perhaps very, uh, just kind of made a sort of dramatic impression. Or, um, like, the first time I heard Seth Godin uh, riff on all the stuff that's wrong with the with the, the way education is done at a sort of national level here in the United States, other places too, I'm sure where it's really preparing you to show up on time and and follow orders more so than it is doing anything else and just how much that resonated with my own viewpoints and in a very short period of time my impression of Seth Godin went from okay he's you know he's he's a smart obviously a smart guy and obviously has a lot of attention from people has earned that But then, when I I felt impressed by his insightfulness and felt like it also was a sort of more sophisticated, more well thought out version of what I was already thinking, that was also what I would call a dramatic event. There were no fireworks, you know, there was no announcement on television that Philip just listened to Seth Godin on this podcast, and, you know, there was nothing like that. But for me, how I felt about Seth Godin and the trust that I felt for him as a call him what you want thought leader, authority, uh, public figure, thinker, or, you know, I don't know which label is, is appropriate for him, but my esteem for him was dramatically increased in a very short period of time. And I do think there are other events. You don't have to, like, jump into a lake and save somebody from drowning for it to be a dramatic trust-increasing event. It could be something like, you know, delivering the sort of right sort of talk at the right time in the right venue. Or it could be um, uh, uh, just, you know, diagnosing somebody's, what's what's ailing their, their business with startling accuracy or, or something like that. Those are all dramatic events. And some people are good, honestly, are quite good at uh cultivating those kind of dramatic events or creating the conditions in which they can happen. And if that's you, by all means, make use of that. Last thing I won't spend as long on this, the transitive property of trust. I trust my wife. If she recommends that I, uh, you know, talk to somebody because she thinks I might benefit from talking to them, I'm automatically more likely to trust that person. So this is the whole, this is the entire uh, reason why we all, and I include myself in this, <laughs> you know, in our marketing, in our web presence, in our sales process, we want to make use of trusted third parties. So that could be, you know, if uh, if I wrote a book and sent it to Seth Godin and he, uh, you know, did me did me the honor of reading it and saying something nice about it, you better believe I'd be getting a lot of mileage out of that quote. And if you, you know, work for some Fortune 500 company that everybody respects and they said nice things about your work, which, by the way, is highly unlikely because their lawyers almost never let that happen, jerks. Anyway, <laughs> if that happened, you, um, you would certainly want to make use of that because that's that, that's that sort of transitive property of trust. And that's the other thing that I think that, that my third category of things that can increase trust. So back to Jonathan's question, I think the, the you know the metaphorical plant that this jewelry uh, maker and seller was trying to grow is that of trust. Um, and you know Jonathan brought up some important points that. I think there are, uh, it's like a time and a place where there's a kind of deluge approach, (laughs) a dramatic event that can increase trust. But there's many, many more times and places, I believe, where just showing up over time increases trust and requires uh, less um, energy and charisma like if you think about what would what would it take to get up on the stage at some national level conference where your buyers are and just really blow them away? Some of us have what it takes to do that, but not everybody. And that's okay because that is not the only way in which trust can be built. It can also be built by just showing up consistently over time and trying to help your, you know, clients improve their condition. And A lot of that can happen before they hire you, but that showing up over time demonstrates that you are trustworthy. Jonathan, again, thank you for the question. If you, dear listener, have a question, I am as rapidly as possible switching over to the note where I have this phone number. (laughs) There we go. 707-204-0717. Call that number. Leave a message with your question. I'll play it on air, and I will give it the most rich, uh, detailed, yet concise answer that I possibly can. So that's the Consulting Pipeline podcast, answer line 707-204-0717. Hope to hear your voice there soon. Here we are, parting is such sweet sorrow. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast. See you next time.